Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Talent Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Patterson, Chief Growth Officer for Solutions Driven. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by the COO of Refine Labs, Megan Bone. Megan, how are you? I'm doing great, Nikki. Thank you for having me on the show. Looking forward to our discussion today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, we like to bring on guests that are thought-provoking, that are you know, very visible on, on LinkedIn and social. Megan is definitely that. You know, Refine Labs are a company that have grown quite considerably. Awesome career for Megan. I've followed you for a number of years now and, you know, definitely at a place you seem to be extremely happy at and, you know, part of some really amazing groups, uh, Pavilion Chief, etc. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of guests intrigued by our topics of discussion today. So let's get let's get right to it. You know, the way we like to do the Talent Intelligence podcast is kind of a keep it light, but at the same time, you know, try and have a little bit of structure to it as well. I think I'm very keen to understand Megan, the person, um, a little bit about Refine Labs and, and, you know, what you've learned as a person as you've grown through that journey, a little bit of maybe past, present, future, and, you know, how to build and scale a company how to underpin the methodologies of people's success. So let's just start with Megan, the, the person. Megan, you've started in sales. You know, you've had some sales roles, some accounts roles, some customer success roles. You know, even if you were going to give us a quick one, two minute highlight of, of, of your career, um, tell me how you've got to where you've got to now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, while I was putting myself through school, I did a lot of different sales jobs, including selling Cutco knives. So you learn a lot about uh, resilience and Absolutely. grit when you when you do the, that type of uh, effectively door to door sales. Um, but yeah, right after college, I jumped into the New York City startup scene, and so I spent the first um, seven years of my career at an education technology company as an account manager, and that's when I really fell in love with that function, account management, customer success. It required you to flex you know, customer service skills, sales skills, project management skills, presentation skills, so strong foundation to my career. Um, I moved on from that company and joined ZocDoc in the early days. Um, I took a bit of a step back, was a customer support agent, but then ended up building out their entire entire post-sale function, um, which was my first um, experience building a team. Was then recruited by Grubhub and Seamless um, pre-IPO to build out their B2B account management division. Um, was there for four years, had a great run there was itching to kind of get back to a smaller company and build. Uh, I like the building phase the best. So that's when I went to manage by Q to build out their account management function. And then that's when the scope of my career really um, expanded. I went from the yeah. head of account management to the chief operating officer at manage by Q in about yeah. uh, under two years. Um, and then that chapter ended with an acquisition to uh, WeWork, um, which was, cool and exciting until it wasn't cool and exciting anymore. It's a story for another day. Um, got back into the food tech space at Platters as the head of customer success. The pandemic obviously negatively impacted that business, corporate B2B food ordering. Um, and then um, had met Chris Walker on LinkedIn in 2019. Him and I were developing a relationship over time and ultimately decided to team up and build and scale Refine Labs together in the summer of 2020. And I have been there ever since. So that's the quick rundown I mean, of the career journey. <laughs> yeah, I know you've just captured, you know, loads of years in, in such a small time there, right? Yes. And I think 
what, what's really key is, and it's interesting, I, you know, I've interviewed quite a lot of C-suite VPs, et cetera, and a lot of them have had that very, you know, very challenging initial early sales role in their career, you know, that's really set them up for, I guess, the hard work of everything else to, to come and, and loads of rejection, you know, two steps forward, one step back. And, and, and it's probably not been plain sailing for you along the way as well. I mean, is there any one moment that you can think of maybe fairly early in your career that was a bit of a knockback that you had to, you had to get over? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had been an account manager for seven years and I was looking for, I knew I wanted to manage a team of people and I was looking for a management position, you know, to manage a, an account management team or something like that. And um, I had found ZocDoc and really loved the product idea and thought this is definitely going to be successful. It was very early days. Um, but the only position that they would offer me was being a customer support agent and taking over a 50% pay cut. But I saw the potential in that opportunity. And I knew that if I was willing to take one step back, that, that it could be an, uh, an opportunity for me to take two big steps forward. And luckily that was the case. Um, being on the front lines, I was able to synthesize and observe like the key challenges in the business and put a business case forward for creating a post-sale department that didn't exist. And yeah. so because of that sequence of events, it um, even though I like, you know, had an entry level position, um, I leveraged that to like, like I said, kind of summarize those insights and ultimately show them that I could do a lot more than what they hired me to do. Um, yep. And ultimately I got the opportunity to build out that team. And that was definitely a pivotal turning point in my career. I learned so much in a very short period of time that really informed my own leadership style and how mm -hmm. I thought about team building from, from then on out. Okay, cool. And I mean, you've mentioned team building a couple of times already. I think we're going to get to that in a, in a little bit later. In terms of just that leadership style or having success in your career, is there one or two maybe mentors or people you've worked with or looked up to that you feel have helped get you to that next level? Um, yeah, I think when, um, I was at my first company, um, this education technology company was called eChalk. My manager at the time was this woman, Nancy DeVore. And one of the things that she always taught me, and that I think is one reason why I've excelled in my career is, you know, don't let your job description, um, prevent you from doing what is required for the business to be successful. And so, um, for example, really taking that mindset and that lesson that she taught me was really how I was able to go from the director of account management to a COO in 18 months. Because yeah. when I arrived at the business, I you know, had a mandate to build my function, but I was recognizing that there were pretty critical you know, problems to be solved on the sales team, on the operations team. And as the head of the account management team, I was inheriting those problems, even though maybe I wasn't the owner of solving right, right. them. Owning that, yeah. And realizing like, okay, even if this is outside my function, I'm going to collaborate with my peers and my teammates to solve these problems first, because a lot of the issues that we're having in account management mm -hmm. could be because we're selling to the wrong customer or Mark our operations. ICP, et cetera exactly isn't customer first. And so because I focused on solving the most important business problems, maybe at the expense of 
making my function look good as uh, opportunities came up to take over those functions. The CEO had seen me be effective yeah. in driving positive change in different teams and, and each and every time came up to me and said, Hey, do you want to take on sales? What about marketing? What about operations? And then, um, and then eventually got to the point where I had the responsibility and scope of a COO. On Riverson. I mean, I think, look, I, I don't believe there's anything wrong with somebody saying, this is my role and I want to really excel at that role, you know, and I want to own that. And I think that's totally fine. Um, you know, because you hear a lot about A players, B players, etc. I don't necessarily think that sometimes an A player is somebody that's really good at the role, but then, like you say, is getting involved in something else. I've always tried in my career to act like the role I want next or start to assume some of that responsibility. So when you go into that role, it's not like you're going from an SDR to an AE and it's a fish out of water type scenario. I think as well, you know, you talk about building teams, you're talking about scaling teams as well. You need to wear different hats. It's very different going into a 40-person organization than a 400-person organization with the same job title, right? So it's knowing what's around you and how you become effective there. So, But it's a lot tougher to do at that small scale when you've got nothing there to, to build. So it makes it even more impressive. I think that maybe takes us on to, to the next theme. You know, you talk a lot about people's success equals customer success equals company success. And I'm really, really keen. This is probably my most exciting bit of this show for me to really get into your methodologies about genuinely building and scaling a company because, you know, there is talks of recessions and downturns and, you know, valuations and different things, but you will always get startup and scale-ups. You will always get opportunities. You'll always get investment and people need to know what to do with that. You know, so... um you have done that effectively for, for many years. I'm looking to pick your brain here and, and share with all of us the secrets. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, it's interesting because I think this sort of perspective or methodology or framework that I've really, you know, developed over the course of my career, um, unfortunately, has often been a case of being witness to companies making wrong decisions and prioritizing the wrong thing and realizing yeah. the the downstream impact of doing so. And it, you know, it's not a lot of companies have been in this mindset of growth at all costs. Like we need to do anything to grow, grow, grow. It doesn't matter if we're building a business. It doesn't matter if we, you know, put our team in a bad position. We care about our customers, but only in the sense when it matters to us about how much yeah. money we can make from them, not what actually matters to them. And so um, basically, instead of I, I saw so many instances where the people leaders would say, I'm going to think about my company first, then my customers, and then my team. And it was very clear in their decision making and the way that they behaved and, you know, what they prioritized that that was how they were thinking about things. And the targets. <laughs> yeah, you know, unattainable growth goals. Yeah. Um, and what I realized was, wow, if you flip that and you think about it in the complete opposite way, you actually have the ability to create a much more successful and sustainable and profitable business. And so yeah. that's sort of the root of, of how this kind of came to be. And what I've had the opportunity to do with Chris at Refine Labs is to apply this mindset and this framework and essentially prove to the world that you can build a profitable, sustainable, healthy business 
by putting your people first, your, then your customers, and then finally the company will benefit. You get the financial benefits that you're looking for as a company owner if you do that in the right way. And so if you want, we can kind of break down like for Please each do. of these components for people success, I have kind of like five elements that are really critical to creating the conditions for people to do the best work of I their think, lives. I think you should be charging for this, Megan, to be honest. But, <laughs> but um, I mean, I think, see, see a really high level. Uh, it's easy to say this company is an awesome methodology or product or, or whatever, and people want to go and work there. You know, there's something about genuinely building a really, really good culture that can, yeah, it, it has to go hand in hand. You can't just sell something that's not a good product. You know, or you can, but if you can really tie both of them in together, like you have right now with Refine Labs, that I feel we very much have at Solutions Driven. If you have a place where people like what you have to offer, and your people really enjoy working for you, you can you can scale that. So really keen to see these. Absolutely, this yeah. So let's break it down. We'll start with the people success element, and so. Really, I kind of, I, I summarize it into these like five conditions. I'll kind of call them out and then you can yeah. let me know if you want to dive deeper into, into one or two of them. Yeah. And so the first is, you know, a compelling vision and mission, right? People need to be attracted to what your organization is trying to do, right? And at Refine Labs, mm -hmm. that's twofold. We're completely changing the way B2B companies measure and execute marketing. And at the same time, we're also changing the game on how a modern company can and should be built. And so we kind of have this dual vision that we are uh, working towards. The second element is psychological safety and trust. And I've been in a lot of different work environments that were not healthy. Um, and I saw the impact that it had on the people, but also the bottom line. And that's really crucial if you want to create a, a place that people really feel like they can show up as their true selves and speak their mind. Mm -hmm. The third is autonomy and empowerment. Um, people need the time and the space to do their work. No one likes to be micromanaged. And so it's really about how are you putting the right people in the, in the right roles and yeah. setting the right expectations and the right goals and letting it happen. Right. Number four is recognition and feedback. I always yeah. say like the easiest and most inexpensive thing to do to retain your team is to say thank you and to recognize <laughs> good work. Um, additionally, when you're, um, you know, you taught, you mentioned earlier, we, we revealed our new company core values yesterday at our all hands meeting. And yeah. um, a big part of what we do is we recognize people when they embody our values as a way to reinforce what's really important to the company. Um, yep. for people to make it really clear how important those values are and that we'll recognize it when people really show up and showcase those values in, in the day-to-day -day of the company. Awesome. And then the last number five is achievement and growth, right? People need yep. to feel like they are accomplishing something. They need to feel that they are being challenged to grow professionally and personally. And so there's a lot of other things that matter, but I kind of boiled it down to these five elements, which like, if you can get these five elements, right, you can really create the conditions for people to do the best work of their lives. Definitely. I mean, and I think that could, that could go into almost any function in the business. You know, I think Absolutely. there's, it's very important to have very clear values and everybody understand the journey that the company wants to go on. You know, it's very easy for someone to 
me to steal those values and throw them into this company and they just don't tie in and you see a lot of startup companies and you see the values and you go god they're just the same as one of the last startups i've seen or, or, or whatnot but again it's how you then transition that into your own culture i mean for us we actually have you know monthly rewards and incentives all based on those values so who has demonstrated that value the most which means the next month people want to demonstrate that value mm-hmm. and you know we've found that it's a really good you can't vote you can only vote for so many people in your own team so you're actually getting to know what other areas of the business do we meet every tuesday for example just to hear how everyone else is, is going on to keep that one team mentality which is which is key when you're in that remote world uh, as well what has been the toughest one of those five for you at sarah fine labs um, you know, I think that probably the most difficult to establish and to maintain is psychological safety. Um, it, and as you grow really quickly, it becomes even more challenging to maintain. Yeah. And what I tell my team, you know, my, my team will always, I get this question a lot. We're growing really fast. What are you doing to maintain the culture that we are you know, that we've created, right? We're growing, but we don't want things to change. We like how things are. And what I tell them is I can't control it anymore. You know, at this point, all I can do is try to put the right systems in place to ensure that we bring the right types of people into the organization and to be really clear on what our values are and then um, use our actions to reward and punish the behaviors we will accept and the behaviors we will not accept. Right. And so when someone is actively living against our values, that needs to be addressed ASAP. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes that individual needs to leave the organization if it's not the right fit and they're not willing to commit to the values that are important to us. And, but really it's about making the team understand the role that they play in the ongoing evolution of the culture at the company. It is up to every single person to live their values, to hold each other accountable, to surface when things are wrong. And I think that's challenging to do. It, it's cha- it, You really don't have control over it, right? So you're trying to use influence and communication and actions to yeah. reinforce the behaviors that you want and to, to send a clear message when there are behaviors that you will not accept or tolerate. Yeah. And I'll come back to that maybe in the last part around the kind of a talent hiring, hiring piece, because I think that's super important how you, how you then hire for that, you know, to make sure you're not punishing more often than not and people are in the right spots, et cetera. So we'll come on to that. Um, awesome. Awesome start. Okay. Let's move on to customer success because I feel we have built a business purely off of delivery. Really good delivery breeds everything else. We're a business of 24 years that has only really had a sales function for five years Mm -hmm. because it was just do a good job and you'll get more. Or can you help us in a different country? Or can you help us in a different function? And I think it was a really good way to start because we've tried to sustain that and make that better and have an amazing experience for, say, both candidate and client. You know, you're focusing this from from the client side. So keen to understand how you, you look at customer success. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, really, I spent the bulk of my career in customer success as an individual contributor, as a leader of and builder of many account management and customer success teams at multiple companies. And so mm-hmm. this is really a synthesis of this is essentially my customer success philosophy um, after all of those years of experience. And basically, these are eight elements that um, are 100% required if you want to do customer success in the right way. And so okay. we'll go through these eight. So the first my favorite is... my no- favorite number, by the way, eight. Oh. So you're off to a good start. There you go. There you go. Um, number one is be proactive. You have a tattoo and everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, so being proactive is key. I think that's really the difference between customer service and customer success, right? Customer service, customer support is reactive. Customer success needs to be proactive. Yeah. Um, often that is that isn't the case. Number two is add strategic value. Um, the whole um, kind of ethos of the customer success function is that you're a trusted advisor to your customer and that they come to you um, for the outcomes that they're trying to drive within their own organization. Number three is manage expectations. And so the root of all discontent is unmatched expectations, right? Yep. Expectations not matching reality. And so um, it's really critical that that is um, managed appropriately in the sales process in onboarding and ongoing. Communicate regularly. So communication is key. Um, I don't really actually believe in over communicating. Um, I think especially in a distributed virtual like workplace that we all operate in day to day now, um, regular communication is is really critical. I, I said to my team just this week, and that's one I'd like to quickly stop on is communication is, particularly in the world we are in now, which is you know, mostly hybrid, mostly flexible for the companies that are doing well. And, you know, for me, no communication is, is, is the worst possible thing. You know, the old no news is good news is <laughs> absolutely gone, you know. And, and I think when hiring, people know it's tough. People only give us tough roles, for example, or really critical roles. And, you know, going a week without anything to me is heart attack. You know, even if it's, this has been a tough week. Engagement has been slow, but we have learned this or someone told us this that made us think or can we run this past you really quickly? You know, the, the small subtleties of communication are, you know, massively underrated, I think, by by so many leaders out there. So um, for me, that's the most important one of the ones you've mentioned so far. Yeah, absolutely. Agree with, with all of those points. Um, so the next four, um, Number five would be stay aligned with the decision maker. And so I think um, the, the, the key here is that often the, the people that you work with um, directly day to day at your customer's account um, aren't often the final decision makers. And so making sure that you are connected to all of the right people so that you um, have a strong sense of how the relationship is going, both on sort of the day to day execution, but the strategic connection to the ultimate decision maker that, um, you know, things change a lot, things evolve in businesses. So you have to stay close to them. Six is build authentic relationships. And um, this is really around creating trust with your customers so that they are willing to tell you early and often when things are going off course so that you can course correct things before you're at the point of no return. Um, and people often, you know, I actually have customers at every company that I've worked at that I still keep in touch with because I just built a genuine 
friendship with them and they yeah. were great people. Right. So like having the ability to do that, you create customers for life. Um, but finish out, but that's definitely one I want to come back to. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But so the last two, one is have tough conversations early and often. And so I see this a lot, you know, someone will say, Oh, I think something's wrong at the customer counter. They're unhappy. I'm just going to wait for them to tell me. And it, you need to, again, be proactive and say, Hey, something feels off, or I think we missed the mark. Let's talk this out together and figure out where we really feel here. fast. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then at the, and then number eight drive results that matter at the end of the day, the customer hired you to achieve an outcome. And so make sure that you're focused on driving those outcomes. You could do all of the other things perfectly, but if you're not actually, um, you know, driving the desired, uh, outcome that they want, that's not, you're not, you're not doing customer success. You're not making them successful. I mean, that's awesome. I think, you know, you read a lot right now, particularly on, you know, Pavilion and Rev Genius and all these types of places, you know, that there's a lot of people right now that want to be a thought leader, want to share what they're doing. Uh, there's a lot of people looking for for advice as well. And, you know, people are like, don't talk about the weather, don't talk about your personality, talk about this. But, you know, and I think there's so much out there right now that people are kind of a lost. And I always feel like it's super hard to force a relationship on on someone. Likewise, you're never, ever going to get along with everybody that, that, that you meet either. There will be always clients that you're drawn to or, you know, they're drawn to you for for, for whatever reason, right? And mm -hmm. I think, you know, of course, sometimes you go above and beyond sometimes for that person that you are super drawn to uh, as well. I mean, how do you how do you scale that? You know, how do you sell your team, you know, to build those relationships? So what is the kind of maybe one tip, one point or two, get on a client's level? Yeah. And really a lot of it is meeting them where they're at. And so what I tell people is, you know, not That's everyone is like you and not everybody wants what you want. And so this really, it's flexing, you know, your empathy muscle and emotional intelligence. And it's understanding mm -hmm. from your customer's point of view, how do they like to communicate? Um, what are the things that they're comfortable sharing? Um, what are things that, you know, what are topics that they clearly are avoiding or don't want to discuss? And so there isn't like a one size fits all for me. It's taking the time to understand the customer, putting yourself in their shoes um, and meeting them where they're at and giving them what they want. Right. And that can, yeah. can kind of say that for any relationship, really, like you shouldn't impose any expectations on any other human being. Um, you should take the time to understand what makes them different and unique and, you know, what their preferences are and, if you're able to, you know, provide them with that only if it makes sense for you too, right? Customer yeah. relationships. Um, typically you'll want to do more of that proactive work to meet them where they're at, just given the nature of the relationship. And the right a little bit as well. And yeah, yeah. no, that's, that's a, a super, super cool framework. And again, a lot of what I like about what you're saying is straightforward. You know, it's just put in yeah. a very logical way. <laughs> Right. And and I think that's stuff that people could definitely quite easily comprehend and, and and turn into action. So I think you're giving away a lot of a lot of good tips today. And I think I guess, you know, that particular framework of thinking about the customer, voice of the customer, customer first, meeting them where they're at, giving them what they want, driving the results that they are hoping to get, you know, add that to the person, the values that that you that you're hiring for, I guess, when you when you're building that company. Of course, like we talk about, we grow 
we grow customers' revenues and that will in turn help grow ours, right? But it's the customer first. And like you say, that's how companies can have success when you can get those two elements. So company success, I see that as you're pulling it all together. Would that be right? Yeah, exactly. And so this is kind of the assumption that you've nailed the people success elements. You've created those conditions for your team. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, created the right systems and process internally to deliver on those eight keys to customer success that we just discussed. Um, you're correct that all of this stuff is very simple and straightforward. Um, and like with most simple and effective strategies, the difficulty lies in the execution, right? So these these five keys to really bring it all together is when you're thinking about those two foundational people and customer success pillars being in place, this is then what's really needed at the company level to be successful. Okay. And so number one is you need to clearly define your ideal customer profile and your customer journey. You need to really know who is your customer and what is the experience that you are looking to deliver, right? Yeah. And there's a lot that goes into that, but we'll kind of keep keep it there for now. Oh, yeah. Number number two is being really methodical and thoughtful about goal setting. There's nothing that kills morale than um, quarter over quarter goals. missing unattainable goals. Yeah. It makes zero sense. Um, number three, ensure that there's true company alignment on goals and incentives. I've seen so many examples of internal teams at the same company um, in competition with one another or finger pointing because goals and incentives were misaligned. Yeah. If you work for the same company, you are on the same team. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, that's not the case. You hear about the Always. tensions between sales and marketing, sales and customer success or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you, you, it almost always comes back to misaligned incentives. Yeah. Um, number four is regularly identify points of friction and address them quickly. Um, hey, we've, we've grown like incredibly fast at Refine Labs, right? And things have been going good, but we're not perfect as well. And one of the things that I'm always on the lookout for is what are, where are the growing pains? I know that we're going to have them like to, to think that we don't have those is, is naive. Naive. And so it's more about, I just need to know what they are so I can do something about them. Right. And once you, once you uncover something, you have to take action and tell your team, Hey, I see this. This is what we're thinking. This is what we're going to do and and keep people updated and follow through. Yeah. And then number five is embrace the infinite mindset. Um, so it's like Simon Sinek talks about this Love a him. lot. He wrote a book, but it's really about playing the long game. Like I've, I've seen, and I've done it myself. I've succumbed to the pressure of making short-term decisions that I knew weren't the right thing to do, but I felt that I had to, right. And I've realized the negative consequences of that. And I just won't do that anymore. And Mm -hmm. it's understanding that, you know, whatever situation you're in right now is a very small moment in a much bigger journey. And you should never sacrifice your integrity, your values, um, or do something that you really believe is not right. Um, because of a moment at a company, right. Or someone pressuring you to do something. So it's that long game, that playing the long game mentality, that's really crucial. So See, we could well, talk about each of those oh, a lot. So I don't know if yeah, we could have picked this in for a couple of hours. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think the big thing for me here is 
I think it's relatively straightforward to really define that, you know, ideal profile or persona. You know, I think the goals and incentives, a lot of people do struggle with that. I think a lot of people will avoid the friction and hope it goes away and it never goes away. Yep. Um, and, and that alignment is absolutely key. I think, you know, most of my career has been in the sales side, you know, since, since I've been here and starting to get more involved in customer success, customer experience, our own people experience, you know, versus the, the different role of marketing, et cetera. You realize just how much, I mean, I think you said it, we're all on the same team, but even within the same sales team, people compete for the number one spot or the trip to Cancun or whatever it, whatever it may be. And I think it's how, how do you have a place where people can be themselves? You trust people to have that autonomy. You know, I think there's so much about what you've said there that I think will absolutely resonate with, with people. I think the difference I was going to challenge you on something is that long game, right? Because, you know, I was, I was told, to, and I've not followed this advice, but I was told, you know, you should never stay at a company more than three years. You'll get stale, you'll stop learning, et cetera, et cetera. I think the long game for most people has changed. People want success yesterday. Um, so how do you, if we're flipping this from, this unbelievable methodology to, you know, how would you hire to build this team and hire people to bring this success? You know, how do you assess if somebody is ready for that long game, has the values to, to play that long game and will come and stay? You know, because quite clearly you can provide the methodology, the platform, the philosophies to be successful once they get there. Mm -hmm. How do you convince people that they should come and work for you? Yeah. So uh, I think one point that I want to make too, and I don't think this really has anything to do with like how long you stay at a company. I firmly believe that people um, are going to have many chapters and at bats in their careers at different places. Um, you know, yeah. I've been at companies as short as two years, as long as seven years, it's varied quite a bit. Right. And for me, there was always just a defining moment where it was very clear to me that this chapter is ending, right? And my next one is going to begin. And so I I'm like to go frame, build a new company. Yeah, I like <laughs> to frame this concept. And I like I tell people, you're playing two games. You're you're playing your current game, which is your current role at your current company, but you also are playing your long game and your life game, right? And you want to make sure that like there are things that you should sacrifice for your current game, titles money. Mm -hmm. um, some of those things don't matter that much in the long term. What really matters is being able, you know, being values aligned, having an opportunity to learn and to grow and to be surrounded by really talented people. Yeah. And so there's, there's kind of that, that mindset that's important to, to think about. The second part of your question, which is really around how do you vet for this in an interview process or how do you find out? So you, and you, you, you said a term that I wanted to, to call out. You said, how do you convince someone to join your team? And I mm -hmm. actually, um, I, and I do this when I, if I'm selling for Refine Labs or if I'm interviewing or recruiting for Refine Labs, I'm flat out say, I am not here to convince you to do anything. Um, I'm not trying to hard sell you this job. I'm trying to have a mutual discovery to yeah. determine if the partnership will be a good fit. And as part of this, I'm going to be really clear about what we're good at, what we believe in, what we're not good at. Oh, so where the challenges are. Yeah. Yeah. We just released our updated culture book and there's literally a whole page about like all the hard parts about working here. 
Like we're very transparent of well, like for the right candidate. They look at those and go, I could help with that. You know, that sounds exciting. I could fix yeah. that. Yeah. And it's like, this is the environment. And if, and like, it's up to you, like, I want you to opt into this. I'm not going to try to convince you to do something. And I've had that experience in my career where someone was selling me really hard on a job. And then when I got in there, I realized that a lot of the things that they told me mm-hmm. didn't really hold up. Right. And that in my mind, that's like a bait and switch. And so for, for me, it's, it's about, um, I ask a lot of open-ended questions to have people tell me about their career journey, their aspirations, what matters most to them in a place of work. And typically those types of open-ended questions give me enough information to make a judgment decision on um, if I believe their values aligned, right? And then additionally, I take an active part in helping them qualify for themselves if this is a place that they want to be at, you know, or, or not. Um, I think not every company can be the highest paying company in that field. Not every company can have the coolest product, et cetera. I think, you know, as a recruitment partner, we're always trying to, because there's no point in us selling the wrong opportunity to the wrong person, especially when we offer a 12 month guarantee, right? It just have a kill us. But you know, for us, it's very much about really understanding the, the value proposition of that company. And the head of CS is going to be very different to an SDR, very different to a COO. You know, there's there's going to be a different path or expectation for, for, for each role. And, you know, I like what you said there, right? Because you're almost, I think a lot of candidates out there are scared to tell somebody they're hoping to, you know, uh, they're hoping to demonstrate they could be really good in this role and say to them, but you know what? I want your job in three years, Mm -hmm. you know, where you're kind of like, somebody says, I want your job in three years. You might be like, that's exactly what I want, you know, because I'm going to be there. And, you know, I think we talk a lot about the the kind of a 2019 recruiter versus the 2022 recruiter. It just doesn't work the same anymore because right now candidates, I think personally, know they're worth a lot more. They're really deeply thinking about what they want to do more now than they ever ever have. And they've got their eyes wide open. But a lot of hiring managers are like, okay, so why do you want to work here? You know, and it just doesn't, it doesn't correlate. So, you know, for me, you've definitely got a really good outlook on just life. And, you know, some super philosophies that I think we could go into for hours and hours. But you know, we are unfortunately up on time, but I think there's so much in there that, you know, there'll be lots of snippets from this, I'm sure. And for our clients, we're also going to do three quick bonus questions. Um, and we'll record them just in a moment. So thank you very much for your time, Megan. It's been an absolute pleasure and look forward to seeing where you and Refine Labs go as part of that long game. Thanks for having me, Nikki. Great conversation today. Awesome.